Glad you guys are here. I, I'm excited to teach this class. Blake was talking to me a month ago, just like, what would you want to teach on? And I was trying to think, man, what would be something that I'd be interested in teaching on? And I took a class last semester on 1 Corinthians, so just excited to kind of dive in. Um, you know, I was thinking, you know, like every good teacher kind of pushes you towards God's Word, and I hope that's what I can do for you guys this morning. I know sometimes you take bad teachers, and it's like, then you really want to read God's Word so you can figure out what's, what's truth. So, Either way, um, my goal is to push you guys towards God's Word. So um, it's going to be a blast. We're going to cover a lot of material. We're going to be going really fast. But hopefully, um, feel free to ask questions. Feel free to stop me if something's not clear. Uh, I really want to help you guys just love God's Word more, understand it more, and hopefully just we can change the way we view stuff. Um, so before we get started, let me just open us in prayer, all right? Father, we just, uh, God, we're just grateful. Um, God, that you allow us to understand more about who you are through your Word. God, I just praise you for every individual in here, God, that we just uh, have time to learn about you. Uh, Father, just let your word through the book of Corinthians speak to us, um, give us insight. Lord, help it to be clear. God, we just praise you for your grace and just for all your good gifts. And we just uh, thank you for everything in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so here we go. Um, The class title is Swimming Upstream. Um, there's going to be a lot of things you'll probably see there. I mean, like the book of First Corinthians, he's dealing with um, just people who are really submersed in the culture. And uh, we're gonna, you'll kind of see it as we go through that there's a lot of applications for just, man, we're called to be salt and light. We're called to be different. We're called out of the world. And so you'll see a lot of these parallels, but just learning, like, how were the Corinthians sucked into the world? And how did they kind of, you know, instead of being transformed by God's grace, were they kind of transformed and looked a lot more like the culture? So that's kind of the, the title of the class is just swimming upstream. And, you know, you got like the, the salmon like to, uh, you know, swim upstream. And I just think it's like, it's a good example of just like, man, that's just like persistence. You know, and I think sometimes you can feel like you're just getting washed away. You know, it's like when you're hanging out with coworkers who don't know Christ every day and trying to be a light and trying to go against um, everything that they're doing, you can feel like you're just losing ground. And uh, just want you guys to have hope that you can just see that God's at work, God's doing stuff, and uh, just be persistent like salmon that like to swim upstream. Um, just a little bit of background. The last time I taught a class for, uh, I taught core class last semester, and one of the guys was like, it was really great, really encouraging class, glad you taught it, but he's like, you never told us who you were or what you're about. So I made sure I threw a slide in here. So that's my beautiful wife. She's actually sitting here supporting me this morning. So she's up there, and that's my daughter, Rosalie. It's a little older picture. She's like a year and a half now and running all over the place and getting into stuff. Um, and we have another kid. My wife's pregnant. So we got another kid who's due hopefully in the next you know, couple of weeks here. So I was thankful the baby didn't come today. That was my one prayer. Um, so, yeah. But... Uh, Oh, she's, if she has contractions and she's sitting there going like, you know, then it's okay. We'll make it. But, uh, but uh, yeah, God is gracious. We moved from Colorado four years ago. I'm at seminary going to DTS and uh, finishing up, hopefully, Lord willing, in December. I've been hanging at Watermark ever since we moved down here, so it's been great. Um, actually, today's kind of my last little day with the equipping team. I kind of told them this would be my last day, but I've been hanging out with Blake and Bobby Crotty and all the other equipping team members for like the past nine months and just uh, hanging out with them. Also teach classes with uh, the fourth and fifth graders for Crossroads on Sunday morning. Uh, just a blast. And uh, also been doing Summit with uh, Philip Benson's, our two guys from the Summit group, just uh, doing the men's Bible study. Uh, finished up this last week as we went through Daniel. It's been a great time. So if you've never done Summit before for men, get plugged in. It's awesome. So do it. Great opportunity. But yeah, just a little bit of background about me. Um, so I grew up in Colorado. Uh, just God's grace. Had parents that were um, loved the Lord. Had grandparents love the Lord. And they just thankful for what God did through them and just teaching me more about Him. And uh, came to Him at a young age. But just, you know, through middle school, just had a youth pastor really challenge me to really look about my faith and just having it be um, not just some thing that I think or that's com- put in a box, but something that really transforms everything that I do. And so just trying to take steps forward, you know, one step at a time. And so it's been just a, a blessing to be part of Watermark. It's been a great church and uh, thankful for a lot of the guys here. All right, so as we jump in, uh, just we're going to cover a little bit of background. You can kind of see, I don't know, I tried to find some pictures. It's kind of hard, but this is Corinth, Greece. So you've got, um, just kind of in the background, you've got the big mountain back there. So just kind of you can get a little bit of an idea, kind of what the terrain might look like. As far as the the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, a lot of people, like, you read it, and you're, like, you're going through it along, and you're like, First and Second Corinthians, like, we have one letter, we have two, but there's actually... There's probably at least four letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Because we know in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, he actually 
Um, he actually wrote to him uh, previously. He says, I wrote a previous letter. So we know there's some letter that we don't have today, but he wrote a letter to him previously. And then there's uh, 1 Corinthians. So you got summer 53 is kind of what people say. That's probably... You guys can come on in. There's seats up here if you need some. Just uh, grab some slides back there if you got some. We're good. Thank you, Julie. Yeah, we're great. Thanks, Philip. But yeah, so you got summer 53 is probably when he, he wrote um, his first letter. And then in uh, May 54 is kind of when a lot of people believe he wrote his second one. And then after he wrote this, this uh, 1 Corinthians, so 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter. It's a little confusing, but it's the second letter. And then he went and visited the Corinthians. And that was just not a very good visit from what's recorded in 2 Corinthians. And so after that um, visit, he, um, he wrote a, a bad letter because that's what he talks about in 2 Corinthians. So there's four letters. So you got... 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and then there's one in between them, and there's one before them that we don't have today. And just so you got, got if, you, if you're reading through Acts and you're like, where does this fall? It falls for those timelines. The second missionary journey kind of covers um, his founding visit. And you'll see that, like, Paul just, man, he loved these guys because he, he started this church. He started the Corinthian church. So he really, he really cares about them. He cares about them a lot. And that's why he's willing to engage them on stuff that's just messed up. And he, and he really spends a lot of time. So he's got three visits to him that you can see at the top. That's the blue ones. He's got his founding visit, and then a painful visit, and then his final visit, um, which is recorded in Acts 20. So that's kind of just a little bit as you're kind of reading through. You kind of know a little bit more what's going on. Just to kind of cover, like, a lot of people, like, you always hear, like, Corinth is, like, the most corrupt church. And it, it was a corrupt city, um, but it actually, like, a lot of the connotations that go with it were actually from... Um, the old Corinth, because actually the old Corinth was the most corrupt. That's the one that's known for just being immoral. And that one was actually destroyed by Rome in 146. So the, the corrupt um, city of Corinth was actually, it was actually knocked over. And then Julius Caesar came by and he decided to rebuild it in 44 BC. Um, so you actually have the new Corinth, which is built. Now, I mean, like, it's, it's kind of like if you knocked over Las Vegas and they built a new one, it's probably not going to be like a place for moral purity. It's not going to probably transform. But it's, not, it's probably not the same level of corruptness that a lot of people associate with it. That's more associated with the older one, just so you know. But it was, um, it was a huge city. I mean, it was a big city, and it was a port city. And uh, I don't, uh, I'll show you in a map here. But it, the population was made up of Romans, Greeks, Jews, and other travelers. So you've, got, you've kind of got a hodgepodge. You've got the Romans, because you know when Julius Caesar, he builds it again. You've got Romans there. You've got the Greeks who were there before. You've got Jews that are in this culture. And then you've got just a lot of people just going through. So it's a, it's a big city, kind of a modern-day Dallas, L.A., New York, something along those lines. Um, and it was founded by Paul in AD 50. But just kind of like a map, pulled this from Google Maps. You got like, so there's Greece right there. And you can kind of see like Corinth down here, that red little dot. It, it was a key area because rather than like having the travelers go all the way around Greece, they would sometimes just like cut across. Like it was easier just to like, they dock their ships, ship it over, pick it up in another ship, take it where they needed to. So you've got like, if you can just kind of think of like the corruptness that kind of goes with like truckers and just all that evil that kind of, you know, like when people just don't care and they're anonymous and no one really knows them, they're just kind of coming through there. You get a lot, of, it kind of explains some of the stuff that's going on with, um, with Corinth. So it was a letter, if you read verse 1 1 in Corinthians, it was uh, a letter to the Corinthians, and he wrote it probably while he was in Ephesus on his third missionary journey. And uh, the church was in Corinth, uh, Greece, that's who he wrote it to, and probably around early 54. Um, and then the purpose of the book, which is really kind of just important to kind of keep in mind, like it was a lot of corporate concerns, like some things that were just going on in the body that weren't good, and uh, and then just personal issues that he had to deal with. And, and part of his letter, he kind of got four things. Like, it's not as simple as some books where it's like they've got one purpose. You know, like you read the book of John, it's like, you know, you read that book, it's so that you might believe, right? So you might have assurance and you might, without doubt, believe in Jesus Christ. And this one's kind of got more more things going on. And there might even be more, but this is kind of what I broke down. Uh, it's kind of the four kind of key issues. So one, you got like this faulty understanding of what's spiritual, right? The Corinthians is really... They just messed up what was spiritual. They, they distorted it. We'll see kind of more of what that looks like. 
And then also it's to correct a dualism. And we'll talk a little bit more about this. But basically, they kind of separate. Like, they, they went to so far extremes. Like, they put the, like the body was over here. And on the other side of the room is like the spirit, right? They were just completely disconnected. And Paul's just saying, no, it's not. They're not disconnected. They're, they're actually more unified than you would probably think. And, uh, and then he was also to teach a proper eschatology. So that just means, kind of a big word, but it just means like last days. Like it's just, you know, he just wanted them to be future focused. He wanted them to think about the resurrection. He wanted them to think about, you know, like what does the future have? And it, we'll see there's a lot of passages that talk on eschatology which just means it's the last days. Like, what does the future hold? So, Bobby was talking on Revelation this morning. I don't know if you guys got to sit in on that class, but a lot of there's a lot of eschatology, not just in Revelation, but also in the book of 1 Corinthians. And then I think also to clearly articulate the gospel, right? Uh, there's a lot of good passages in here to memorize. And 1 Corinthians 15 talks a lot about, like, the resurrection. It's a great book that just kind of outlines the gospel really clearly. And so... Um, you've kind of got like these competing themes going on. And I, there's a lot of different, like depending on who you, what book or commentary you read, you're going to get a lot of different viewpoints on this. But um, some people will be like, oh, there's Judaizers going on here, which those are people who are like, you know, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to get circumcised. You've got to follow the Mosaic law. You've got to do this. And so you've got some of those people that might be in here because in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11.22, he rejects. He's like he he completely goes against this idea. So you got there's probably there might be some of those hanging out here, and then you got this. Has anybody ever heard of Gnosticism before? I don't know if anybody if you, if you heard the word like if you've ever heard has anybody ever heard like the Gospel of Thomas mentioned before? Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes you'll have yeah the Gospel. You'll know, hear some people will be like oh you got a, the Gospel of Thomas man you don't know what you're you're reading the Gospels of Matthew Mark Luke John you know and we got to throw the Gospel of Thomas in there. Well, the Gospel of Thomas is really a Gnostic document that comes from... It's dated later than the other. Like, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all dated earlier. And the Gospel of Thomas is, like, from 140 AD. It's a later document, and it's Gnostic, which basically... Um, it, it means that they, they separated. Like they said, they said the body's evil. Like the body's going to be gone, and we're just going to live in heaven forever and never have a body again. And we just want to escape this body, and uh, we want nothing to do with the body, right? So they wanted to, you know, indulge their bodies. Well, kind of two views. Like either one you'll see in the Corinthian church is they either wanted to in, in, indulge their bodies. Like, well, since the bodies don't matter. We can just use our bodies to have sex with our, you know, mother-in-laws. And, you know, like, there's this crazy, like, it's no consequence. It doesn't matter. And then, um, and then you got some that's like, well, actually, the, you know, our bodies are just a hindrance. I just want to get rid of them. And um, they view them just as a hindrance to their walk. And then you kind of have some people who are just over-realized eschatology. So these are people, and it's still around today, but it's like every benefit that we have that's in the future applies to us now, right? So there's nothing like, it's like the prosperity gospel. It's basically like everything that Christ promised in the future is for us today, right? So there's no, there's no future, um, there's nothing like in the future. It's just like they would kind of be like, well, if they said that we're, you know, life's going to be perfect, it's going to be perfect now. And so they applied some of these things uh, currently, and then you have, and I think this is probably the biggest one that's influential is you got paganism, right? Because um, Paul refers to him, he says, "Once you were pagans." He says that in First Corinthians three three, I believe, and uh, and these are they they, they were influenced by the Greco Roman culture. So you've got kind of these competing things going on here. And uh, when I was kind of going through, I was browsing YouTube trying to figure out. Oh, I don't know if that's gonna. Sorry, I didn't know it start right away. Let me see if I can get the speakers on here. But I, I found a video on YouTube that I thought was odd. I don't know if anybody likes Candid Camera, but I do. And uh, let's see if that... I don't know if... Try to get it as loud as we can here. Hopefully. Is that okay back there? We'll see how it goes. But I found it. I thought it was pretty cool. It's a, it's a short little clip just uh, from Candy Camera that they did like in the 60s, I think. So it's, a, it's like black and white. And I, I thought it's a great video for just kind of talking about cultural conformity. So check this out. The gentleman in the elevator now is a candid star. These folks who are entering, the man with the white shirt, the lady with the trench coat, and subsequently one other member of our staff will face the rear. And you'll see how this man in a trench coat <laughs> tries to maintain his individuality 
at his watch, but he's really making an excuse for turning just a little bit more to the wall. Now we'll try it once again. Here's the candid subject. Here comes the candid camera staff, three of them at least. And uh, this man has apparently been in group. Here's a fella with his hat on in the elevator. First he makes a full turn to the rear and Charlie closes the door. A moment later, we'll open the door. Everybody's changed positions. <laughs> now we'll see if we can use... See if we can use group pressure for some good. Now, in a moment, on Charlie's signal, everybody turns forward. Very notice. They take off their hats. And now, do you think we could reverse the procedure? Watch. I don't know. I just thought it's hilarious. It's a great video just for talking about. Man, it's so easy. Just you know, you can sit there and you can hear people. They're just they're doing stuff that's just wrong. It's just not right, and you can see it. And sometimes it's hard just to speak up and to be different and to do what you know is right. You know, I mean, just I was talking with a buddy this week, and he's like, you know, some of the coworkers who say they're Christians, you know, they they steal coffee because they can get like they steal coffee because they'd rather have the Starbucks good coffee than the, and the way it works, it's weird, but you can do it. And so he's like, man, I just don't, I don't, I, don't, I can't do that. And it's like just trying to be different, be like, no. I'm not going to take, co- I mean, little things, you know, and not steal coffee and just go against the grain, right? Go against, stand forward when everybody else in the elevator is standing backwards. You know, I mean, just don't don't give in to the culture. Do what's right. Be a light. Be a light. And so just kind of one thing I wrote, like, you've got, like, Judaism. You've got, you know, Gnosticism. But I think, like, a lot of it, too, can be broader. And I just put, like, the common link of ideology for the problems of the Corinthians is probably the same as all humanity, right? We, we love ourselves. And that manifests itself in sinful rebellion and arrogance. And we just don't want to embrace the foolishness of the cross, right? We don't want to embrace the power of the cross. And Van der Broek, he's a pastor, just wrote this, and I think it really kind of hits it on the head. It's the Corinthians were simply trying to be Christians with a minimal amount of social and theological disturbance, right? It's easy. They just didn't want to, they didn't want to deal with you know, going against the culture because they're like, I'd rather just go downstream. I'd rather just go downstream. And so some of the key themes you'll see... Uh, the only thing that's really like agreed upon, like people are always trying to figure out, like, or do we have Judaism? Do we have Gnosticism? Do we got like people who are, you know, focused on the future blessings? And really, they're just the church is divided, right? They're just they're just not unified. Like all those passages talk about disunity, and so the, they just can't agree on much. And so that's probably the it, it's hard to see that they would be unified in the way that they think. So their theology is just they just got people from all different places. They're just not unified in anything that they do. And then Paul's also really future-focused. So he's, he's focused on eschatology. He's focused on the future because he wants to remind them, right, this is not the life you live for, right? We're focused on the future. And so all those passages, if you look them all up, they're all going to have stuff to do with the future. And then the present imperfections, I was just trying to think of a way just, this is just their problems. They've just got issues that are involved in the church. There's a lot of them. And those are all the passages that have all their issues. And then this one's going to make you squint. I was trying to figure out how to fit everything on the slide and it... Um, but you have it in front of you. You probably need a magnifying glass, but uh, it's there. Just kind of an outline. We're going to actually hit all every one of these, so you'll see the different. T- um, all these titles will be at the top of each slide. But if you have them, just kind of there's kind of like a bunch of different sections here. Starts out, Paul's just kind of talking introduction, division in the church, uh, all the problems in the church. Then he talks about marriage and divorce uh, and being single, and then he talks about this thing of like food offered to idols. And he talks about um, conduct and worship. And then he finishes with the resurrection and just practical matters. So that's just kind of an overview of kind of where we're going. Another way, this is what I found. I got this actually from my prof. And it's really kind of interesting to see. But you'll see Paul does this A-B-A pattern. It's kind of like in poetry, you know, where you 
you do one and then you do another and then you kind of come back to it. So you kind of have that that going on also. Just kind of keep in mind if, if you're reading the book of 1 Corinthians, sometimes you'll be like, okay, wait, didn't Paul just talk about marriage? Why don't he just add that on to the, when he was talking about marriage, why is he coming back to that? And part of it's because that's kind of the structure that he wanted to use and present it. So just kind of be aware. It might It's kind of interesting just to kind of see how, you know, like he'll talk about marriage, then he'll talk about a principle, then he'll come back to marriage. Or he'll talk about singleness being optional, then he'll talk about the reasons, he'll go back to it. And then like in 8, he talks about idle meat, then he talks about freedom. Then he goes back to idle meat. So, just kind of that in there. Um, and then I'm going to try to highlight, like, I wanted, I'd love to just read the whole book, but we don't have time to read the whole book in this class, or we'd be here for a lot longer than three hours. But uh, part of it is just I want to highlight some key verses that hopefully give you kind of an overview of that chapter or that section. And so this is 1 Corinthians 1-2, and he says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together, with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both the Lord and ours. And uh, cool thing, like you have uh, in uh, verse one, it talks about Sosthenes, and it, it, it's this guy who uh, it's probably it doesn't say for sure, but he's likely the same person who's mentioned in Acts eighteen seventeen. And actually, this is a guy who was beat for his beliefs, right? So he he was a guy who, if you read the verse, it talks about him just being this guy was just beat for his beliefs, and he was pulled out and drugged out and just. Man, and it's like, Paul uses, I think, possibly, to, to just show how God can use horrible circumstances for good, right? The Corinthians, like, he's writing to them, man, they just got a lot of issues. And he's like, you know what, that's, that's all right. You know, just like Sosthenes got, got beat up, God used that to glorify him, right? And so you guys got evil and you guys got things that are just, man, it's ugly. But God can use that, right? And so I think it's ama- like it's absolutely stunning that he calls this church, which is probably the worst church in the New Testament, sanctified. Right, which means they're holy. They're like God. He says, you know, you're, you're, you're sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, any of you guys heard of Lecrae before? They're a hip-hop band that I, I love Lecrae. They're great. If you don't, haven't listened to Lecrae, they've got some amazing lyrics. Um, really good. And they just talk about, they have a song called I'm a Saint. And uh, it, it's actually, he, taught, he says he calls, and he says in first. I wrote it down, he says in First Corinthians 1, Paul calls one of the worst churches in the New Testament saints, not because of man's choosing, but because of God's choosing through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's one of the lyrics from the song. And just, uh, it's just amazing that even though, man, even though we got messed up and we're sinful, God doesn't see us that way. And God wants to, like, just, you know, you got Philippians 1, 6, right? It says, uh, what God has began in you, He won't. He won't stop, right? He keeps working in us. And so there's this hope in that. You know, wherever you guys are, there's this hope that wherever God's got you, wherever God's opened your eyes to His truth, He's not going to let you go. He's going to keep changing you and keep working in your life. And uh, it just goes to show just how amazing God is. And so Paul gives thanks because of God's grace in 1.4. And I think sometimes we can just kind of look over these introductions. Like it's like, oh, it's an introduction, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of truth in there. There's a lot of good things. And so... uh, um, Paul just desired that their practice might correlate with their position, right? He wanted them, you know, they are saints, so he wanted them to act like it, right? So part of it's just like, man, you guys are saints. We're all saints, right? If we know Jesus Christ, if we trust in His grace, and we trust in the sacrifice of His Son on the cross, then, man, we're saints. We're saints. And so, man, God wants us to act like saints. And so... So then he, he goes, he goes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Right. So they've obviously got some divisions going on here. And he says in one thirteen, he says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Right, and all these questions. If you if you look at the Greek, like English isn't like we don't really have a way of doing this where you would like kind of be like, what's the expected answer? Like usually it's a rhetorical question, so you can kind of figure it out. But Greek's a little clearer, and you know for sure that Paul is going, no, these are not true at all. Like Christ is not divided, right? Paul Paul was not crucified for you. Uh, you weren't baptized in the name of Paul. And you could put like you could put I guess you could put watermark in there. Is watermark divided? Was watermark crucified you, or were you baptized in the name of watermark? Right, none of us are, right? We're all unified. The, the body of Christ is bigger than the watermark. And, uh, and it's, it's awesome to be part of a church that is unified, and we don't have a lot of these issues. Uh, but all these questions expect to know. And the uh, story I was uh, about a month ago, I think, I was at the dentist. I don't know if any of you guys like the dentist. I hate the dentist. I hate going to the dentist. And uh, I, always, I, I, I rarely get a good report from the dentist. And I was sitting there, and the lady's like, I think I'm going to have to show you how to brush your teeth. And I'm like, man, I'm 25. I know how to brush my teeth. I've been brushing my teeth for years, you know. And she's like, 
you don't know how to brush your teeth. So I was like, all right, I'm going to listen. I'm like, I'm sitting there in my head. I'm like, seriously, this lady's going to show me how to brush my teeth? This lady's crazy. So she got out, you know, the toothbrush, and she got out her little mold with the thing, and she's like, you go like that. I'm like, yeah, I get it. You know, she's like, okay, I'm going to show you how to floss. Like, you know, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is stupid, you know? Like, I'm sitting there in my head, like, she's treating me like I'm a two-year-old, you know? And I'm thinking, that's kind of what you got going on here with the Corinthians, right? They're, they're like, man, you're treating me like a two-year-old. You treat me like a two-year-old, and Paul's like, "That's because you're acting like a two-year-old, right? You need it." And I think like it's kind of like me, like I'm, I'm too arrogant. I don't want to be told how to brush my teeth, but obviously I'm not doing it right because I keep getting yelled at. And so um, it's kind of the same thing for the Corinthians, right? They're they're just not they're just not getting it, right? So Paul wants them like they they trust a lot more in wisdom. They trust a lot more in the world's wisdom, right? They they trust more in evolution than they do creation or whatever else the world trusts in. And Paul wasn't volling, uh, he wasn't going for their minds, right? He wasn't just trying to go for their intellect, right? He wasn't he didn't come to them and wasn't going to like I'm not going to not going to try to speak to you in scientific terms, you know, cuz that's not the point, right? My point is that you guys would understand the message of the cross, right? And uh <clears throat> all right. So, yeah, so in 118 he says for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God, right? And the Jews, man, the Jews wanted signs. They're like, we want signs. We, we want you to prove who you are, right? And Jesus didn't give them signs. He said, you know, I'll give you the sign of Jonah, right? Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, and that's the sign you're going to get when I die and I'm resurrected. You're going to get that sign. And the Greeks wanted wisdom, and, uh, and God gave them the cross, right? He gave them the, the, the cross crucified. Now, it's, I was reading through, uh, Benson gave me a, a commentary on, uh, <clears throat> on just uh, church history. And it's interesting reading through because I think a lot of times we think of the cross being foolish. And I think there's something there. Like there is because I think like, you know, you're cursed if you're on a tree. And Paul really had to, to grasp the theology of the cross and try to make sense out of it. But they were actually, a lot of them were focused on the message, right? The message of the cross. Because um, for a lot of church fathers, they talk about the foolishness of fishermen bringing the message of the gospel. Like that's just foolish. Like the message came through fishermen. It didn't come through the philosophers didn't come through Plato, didn't come through any of these other guys who were ridiculously brilliant, smart guys. And God chose to use fishermen to present some of the most amazing wisdom of God. And I just think like, I think sometimes it's hard to be like, man, maybe I'm not smart enough. I'm stupid. I mean, I think part of me, sometimes I, I went to seminary because I got tired of being laughed at for being stupid and for not having the right answers. Right? Because, I mean, sadly, there's people in the church that just like, they're like, man, you're so off in left field that you're just... And, and don't think that way, right? This is not... It's not healthy. We all start somewhere, and no one becomes brilliant overnight, right? And, and God used fishermen. He can use all of us in this room, right? So be encouraged by that. Um, and then two six, he says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, right? And so... It, no, it doesn't mean we're stupid, right? I mean, I think some people are like, man, faith is because, man, you just, you never went to college. You know, you never went to, you know, you don't, you don't really get this stuff. I was reading in Chuck Colson's book, The Faith. He was talking about how, uh, you know, I think someone was like, Chuck Colson, do you really believe this? Do you really? I mean, you went to an Ivy League school. Do you really believe this? He's like, yeah. What else am I going to believe? This is it. This is life. And I think, you know, it doesn't mean we're dumb. It doesn't mean we're dumb. We gotta be, God's wisdom is just a lot smarter than worldly wisdom. Um, and then 2.12, 2, he says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us. Right? So part of it is we just need God to understand stuff. Right? There's some things that are just they're difficult, and we need God's help. That's why we pray. That's why we ask for wisdom. I remember uh, I used to work valet at the hospital in Colorado that I was working at. And there was, it was great because I have so many conversations with just unbelievers and we weren't very busy and it was always pretty boring. But uh, we got to have some great conversation. I remember sitting there with one girl and she's just like, man, you believe this stuff? And I'm like, yeah. You know, I mean, like, it's, just, it's truth. You know, it's like it just, you know, it's, it, it makes sense. And I think part of it is not because I'm smart or you can figure it out. It's because God opened her eyes to see this stuff. And he just, man, it, it teaches me to pray for unbelievers because God's got to open their eyes, right? I can argue with people until I'm blue in the face. But if God doesn't open their eyes to truth, you're going to be wasting air, right? And so, all right. So then you have, then Paul kind of says, you know, talks about infants in Christ, right? He calls them basically their, their infants. And he says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. 
And I put in the red's not in the text. I added that just so you can kind of have an idea of what Paul's saying here. Um, because he's not talking about basic Christian doctrine. He doesn't mean milk is basic doctrine. So he says, for according to you, I fed you with milk, the message of Christ crucified. So the milk is the gospel, right? It's the message of Christ crucified, not solid food, which you desired, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready for it, for you are still the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For... When one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Right? And so some people take this, they're like, well, milk means like, it's like the same as Hebrews 5.12. It means like, it's, it's basic doctrine. And I don't think that's quite right. I think milk is referring to the gospel. They said, you know, you gave us the gospel, and that was good. Like, it wasn't bad, but um, it definitely wasn't enough. And Paul's saying, no, that was enough. Like, that was enough. That was all you needed. Like, that is the truth. And they wanted something more because they're like, well, it's just not, it's not wise enough. It just seems a little incomplete, right? And, and the reason I think it's probably referring to the gospel is because if they didn't understand the gospel, and I, why would Paul not go into some really complicated stuff in the rest of his letter and not just stay with talking about the gospel? Like if they didn't get basic stuff, you would think he would stay with basic stuff. Like you would explain the gospel to him again. And he doesn't, like he doesn't spend a lot of, he goes straight into some stuff that's just really tricky. And so I think it's probably best to take it as, man, they just, they didn't want to accept the gospel as being good enough, right? They wanted something more than that. And these are some, uh, in, uh, so in 3, 4 through 4, 21, um, he's kind of talking about, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And it's, it's amazing how that one little simple verse captures a lot of detail, right? So you got, you know, God is sovereign, right? He alone produces stuff, right? God is, God is the one who, God alone produces results, right? If we, whatever we do, we can toil, but if, if God doesn't show up, then we're just wasting our time, right? So there is kind of that going in there. But then there's also, man is responsible, right? So Paul didn't think, like, I'm just going to sit back and, you know, God's the one who does everything, you know, so I have no part to play. And uh, he, he really did. He cared about planting, he cared about watering, he cared about doing his job and being responsible, uh, but God alone produces results. And another thing is like, man, it's just cool to see the body of Christ complements one another, right? We don't, we're not competing. We're not like, I'm trying to, you know, be better than somebody else. We all work together, right? And it's sad. Some people think like it's a competition or they're, you know, they're, I don't know, they're out for different stuff. But it's just cool to see that, you know, we're all working together. We're all going for the same end, you know? And, you know, Paul was like, you know, I planted Apollos water. You know, I did part of it. Apollos did some more. And God made it work, right? And so there's something there just for, you know, we don't have to be defensive when other people are doing stuff. I mean, we, we got enough enemies. We don't need to make enemies with ourselves, right? Um, and then there's there's three builders. So I don't know if you, if you guys got your Bibles, you can turn there. But what is the, uh, in 310, what is the what is the expert builder? What makes him the expert um, builder? The foundation he laid. A foundation he laid, right? Yeah, it's because he built on he built on Christ, right? That's what made the guy. The reason he's an expert builder in that in that verse, I think, is because he built on Christ, right? He didn't just go, I'm going to go build my own kingdom. I'm going to go do that because if you do that, it washes away, right? It just it's like the unwise builder, right? If you don't build on Christ, that's not very smart. You got an unstable foundation. Everything you everything you spend your life on is just going to disappear. But if everything you do is built on Christ, then it's going to last, right? And then you've even got you've got a different builder who's just a destructive builder, and some people they're just out to and they just want to destroy Christianity, right? And uh, it's kind of scary what God says about that. Um, and then there's four kind of possible interpretations. So you got gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, um, straw, and there's kind of like four, basically four ways of taking this. Like some people are like, well, this means the quality of your work. Like some people, it's either going to be it's either going to last, so it's either going to be eternal. Or it's going to be valueless. It's going to be worthless, right? It's just not going to mean anything. Or you have some people that are like, well, it's probably doctrine. It means either like sound doctrine, like so true truth is going to last, and false doctrine, that's going to get washed away. Or you could have it, you know, talk about motives, because you got worthy motives or you got unworthy motives. Or I think, I think people's probably the best. I think all those work. I mean, there's truth in all those. All those have are true, I think. 
but uh, people kind of makes a little more sense if you understand the materials as being people. And the reason I say that is because it kind of fits with a lot of other passages that talk about materials being people. Like in Ephesians, 2 Timothy, and 1 Peter, all of those refer to people as being actual, like it refers to them as being stones. or Like this idea of people being referred to in Scripture by different materials is not unique to this passage. So I think it really seems to be, you know, like, and Paul's already talking about, you know, here's the work that I did, and it, it involves people, right? And so... Part of it is like, man, the things that we have, I think a lot of it's going to be like, who have you poured into? You know, like what lasts? The materials are, are going to be the people that you've poured into. That, that's really what matters. Like all the others, like most of the stuff, if it doesn't involve people, it's kind of like the first one, I guess. It's just kind of valuable. Like if it's not transforming people, and that's what what Paul was concerned about. So, I mean, like I think, and I'm not, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, like don't quote me on this. But that's just kind of that's kind of where I see it going. Is, is that Paul's referring to man like the things that are going to last are going to be are going to be people that believe in Christ, right? Everything else is is going away. All right. So three thirteen says each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sorts of work each one has done. And so you always have this idea like I feel like I'm always talking to people about judgment and like what that means because there's so much confusion on. What is judgment? Do we judge people? Do we not judge people? Should we judge people? Will we be judged? Are we judged because we're free in Christ? And it's confusing. Like you read through it, and there's passages you're like, that seems like they're just telling you to do the opposite thing. And uh, so I'm going to give you like you could probably teach a three-hour class on this, but I'm going to give you kind of what I kind of found and what I kind of think is kind of helpful to think about. Um, not perfect yet, but just some ideas to kind of get you started. Um, first is judgment's not used to determine salvation, right? We're not judged by works. Thank goodness we're not judged by works, right? So judgment's not, it's not if you did enough good works, you're going to earn your way to heaven. It just doesn't work that way. So judgment's not used to determine salvation. You can look at those verses. But it is used to determine the quality of our works, right? So we all will be judged for, for how we steward stuff. We'll be rewarded for that or not rewarded for that. Um, and then I think as far as like our judgment goes, like I think there's some things just to kind of think about. Like we kind of, for one, there's time, right? So right now we don't judge the world. Like we're, God, we're not called to judge. God will judge the world, right? But in the future, we will judge the world. We will be co-regents. We'll be co-reigners with Christ, and we will judge the world. And so there seems to be like right now, we, it's not our job to make sure that unbelievers are behaving the right way, right? It's just not, it's not our, but it will be our job later in the future. All right. And so, and then you kind of have sphere. Like part of it's church and state, right? We take care of the issues in the church. We are supposed to judge the issues in the church, but as far as like issues outside the church, that's kind of the state's responsibility, which is in Romans 13, right? We live like they take care of criminal cases. They take care of that stuff. So we we leave that up to the sovereignty of God and the state. And then also, I think maybe there's something here for good versus bad deeds, right? Because Paul goes on to talk about, and we'll see in a little bit, but. Uh, he doesn't want to judge his good deeds. He's like, I can't even judge my own good deeds. You know, I don't even have the ability to judge my own good deeds. And so part of it is like, maybe we should be really hesitant about judging our good works. That's kind of something you maybe want to shy away from. But when it comes to wickedness, I think evil's usually a little clearer. And I think God tells us, you know, you do need a, you, we do need to judge wickedness in the church, right? If there's stuff that's just going on that's evil and people are unrepentant, they don't want to change, like we do need to talk to those people. And I was speaking, one of my coworkers yesterday, he's like, he's a Christian buddy of mine, it's a pleasure to have him there, but he's just like, he told, I think it was just a couple of days ago, he's like, you know, if you ever see me do something that's sinful, dude, call me on it, you know, like, let me know. And I think like, that's the attitude we want to have. I want to be made better, so judge me. If you see something that, you know, like, you know, that I'm doing wrong, I may not talk to you for a few weeks, but, uh, you know, <laughs> come on. Uh, Come, call me on. I want to know. I want to grow in Christ. So please, you know, judge me, right? And uh, we'll work through that. Now, don't just leave me there. Help me work through it. But there is something about, you know, we need to love each other enough to be confrontational and maybe not have them speak with us for a couple of weeks if it's true. Now, make sure, make sure you got the log out of your own eye and uh, make sure you love them, right? It's not something you do because you're just like, I want to, you know, pound them into the ground because you really want to see them grow, right? Uh, so there's a, there's a balance there. I mean, judgment, there's a balance between being legalistic, like you've got to follow these things, and, uh, and carelessness where you're just like, eh, whatever. Eh, you can do whatever he wants. And you've got, to, you've got to kind of find that balance. It's hard. It's hard to find that balance. All right, so 
And then in 3:16 he says, "Do do not know that you, do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you?" Right? And so something that's really cool through this book, Paul does 10 times and there's all the references for you. He uses this phrase, "Do you not know?" 10 times in this book. And it's it's interesting to me because you know, the Corinthians thought they were so wise. You know, they thought they were so smart, you know, like, "Paul, you don't you're so ignorant. You don't know anything about the world." And he's like, actually, you guys don't know anything. Do you not know? Do you not know? And he does that ten times to him. And I just... Yeah. <laughs> so it's just... You know, I, I heard Todd, and it's a great... tag. If you ever run into someone who's just like, oh, man, the Bible's so stupid, and they think they're so smart, I've heard him say, you know, like, well, okay, so since you don't believe the Bible and you think you're smarter, what, what can you tell me what's the key theme of the Bible? What is the main theme and, and purpose of the Bible? And they'll be like... Uh, I don't know. And it's like, that's when you either, or if they do share it, you can be like, great, that's the gospel. You know it. Respond to it. Or if they don't know, you get to share the gospel with them and be like, man, this is what it is. And I think there's something there for people who are arrogant. Sometimes it's like they think they're so smart, but they've never even read the, they don't even know what the main message of the gospel is. All right. So going through four or five. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive this commendation for God. Right? And so here's what I was just kind of talking about earlier. Like Paul's like, man, I don't even have the ability to determine what I'm doing is good or not. Like I don't I don't want to judge my good works. If I did anything good, it's a result of God working in my life and he'll reward me. Like I don't need a I don't need a fight to get rewarded or look good in this life. That's not that's not what I'm concerned about, right? I was telling my fourth and fifth graders, so I was like, you don't have to worry about God rewarding you for doing good stuff, right? You're not trying to impress Him or do good things. Like, God knows what you do is good, and He'll reward you, right? we got a God who's good, and he, when we do good things, we don't have to look for, uh, you know, benefit in this life, right? I think in, what is it, in Matthew, he talks about, you know, if you, uh, if you do good works before men, then you've got your reward, right? When other people see your good works, like, you got it. That's your reward. You know, take it to the bank. But when you do things and you're just like, you know what? I'm just trying to love God. Like, God will reward you. You don't have to worry about getting the slap on the back because you don't always get them. You know, like sometimes we do some good... Like, I'm sure there's a lot of good things that people do that they just... No one ever gets to thank them for, right? But God will. Like, God's good and He does that. Um, and so, you know, we shouldn't boast in our good works. Uh, but we are called... I think we are called to judge wickedness and evil in the church, right? That's 15... Or 5, 12 through 13. All right, so then we got division in the church. And so you got, Paul just, uh, I don't know, this section I thought about skipping over because it gets a little too personal for me. But uh, it says, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings and would not, uh, and that you did not reign. And, ah, I can't read. And would that you did not reign so that we might share the rule with you. I must have messed that up. But, um, but yeah, so in this, Paul's just saying, you know, you guys, you guys are acting like you're kings, right? He's saying you guys are acting like, you know, you guys think you're so smart. You guys, you know, you're living there. You've got the life. You're indulging your flesh. You're just, you're having fun, right? You guys are arrogant. And then he goes on. If you read right after that, in verses 13 through 19, I think he just talks about, you know, what? We're here and we're just, we're serving. We're suffering for the gospel, right? We're not, you know, eating three meals a day. We're sitting here and uh, we're going without food. We're being shipwrecked. We're just we're having a hard time. And you guys are sitting here and you're just life's easy. He's like, I wish we could, you know, I wish that was the case. I wish we could just enjoy life like you, but we can't, right? And so um, he contrasts them being kings and Paul's servants. It's like they thought, like in their head, it's like, oh yeah, you know what, Christ, all the blessings that Christ talked about, we have those right now. So we, you know, we don't have to wait for heaven. Like, dude, what are you talking about, Paul? You're missing out, man. We're we're already enjoying those things. Uh, and, and Paul's saying, no, no, man. That's that's the next life. You guys are a little confused. And uh, I know it's humbling for me because I I just forget to to be a servant. Like I think sometimes it's easy, even though most of us probably in this room don't hold to the prosperity gospel. It's easy to you know get confused and think that sometimes blessings are a better measure of faithfulness and suffering. But I think Paul says that, you know what, suffering's probably a better measure of faithfulness than blessing is. And that's that's just hard. I don't like that. I don't I don't like it at all. Like I don't I don't it doesn't make sense. It turns my world upside down, right? Instead of like, you know, you got 
what is it, Maslow's hierarchy, you know, going through trying to indulge yourself. It's kind of like Christianity flips it on the head. It's like you, you go down, right? And so, um, you know, I, I found someone on staff sitting in a meeting and one guy was just talking about, you know, you know you're a servant. You can, you, can, you can see if you're a servant when someone treats you like one. How do you respond? And I was like, man, that's so good. Like, in part of my head, I'm like, I want to, you know, I want to look like a servant. I like this. I even like to serve, but I don't like to be treated like a servant. You know, I, I, when people just like kind of blow you off or they're just like, they don't say thank you. And you're like, man, I just did all that, serve for them. And they don't even care. And it's like, well, if you're a servant, it shouldn't matter. That's kind of how servants get treated. Then just kind of a humbling way to check my own attitude on being a servant. Um, 1 Corinthians 6.14, man, this is just an amazing verb. Memorize this if you can. It says, And God raised the Lord and will raise us up and will also raise us up by His power. Right? And this is, man, this is, this is the truth that I think Paul is just trying to get through the Corinthians. Right? He's like, you know what? Everybody is destined to die in Adam. Right? That's just that we, we see it around it. It's self-evident that you're going to die. And he's like, the same hope that you have or the same, the same assurance that you have that you're going to die, you have that same assurance that you're going to be resurrected. Right? The same hope that we have that we're going to die, we have the same assurance that we're going to be resurrected in Christ. Right? And that is just, man, that is, that, that's everything. And that's what Paul is willing to die for to get through the people's heads is you will be resurrected. Right? In Christ, Christ is the first one to be resurrected and everybody else. Like, we got that hope. We don't have to fear death. Right, we might fear the way we die. I mean, I don't want to die in a bad way, hopefully. But if, Lord willing, that's in His control, right? But uh, but we don't have to fear death, right? The grave's been conquered. And we got five, one through twelve. So this is where it starts to get really interesting. So you got this guy, and it's 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 re- reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. I mean, this is just like. This is ugly. I mean, it's just, I mean, Paul is just flipping out. He's just like, are you kidding me? Like, for one, this is, this is clearly against Old Testament Scripture. Like, it's in, like you can't do that. And he's like, you know what? The, it's not even allowed in Roman law. Like, I don't know. I, I put it in there. I don't know what Cicero Clintus or Gaius Institute. It's, it's Roman laws. But I'm sure if you Google it, you'd figure out. Like, you could probably see But it's there if you want to look it up. But uh, it, in the Roman laws, they even outlawed it. It wasn't even just like a Christian thing. It's like, you guys are doing stuff that even pagans don't do. Like, this is so evil. Like, what are you doing? And so Paul says, and this is where people get, I, I don't even know. It's crazy, but he says, "You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that he, his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord." Right? And uh, I'm sure everybody's like, "I'm not going to answer this question." For I don't. It's bad. You know. I mean, I don't know what that means to deliver someone over to Satan. Right? I mean, it, it probably means just let him die. If that's where he wants to let him die, let him go that way. Right? And um, hopefully, maybe if you just let him go, maybe God will work in his life and he'll come back. Right? But. Uh, and indifference and unrepentance towards sinful behavior demands exclusion from the body of Christ, and uh, it's hard to do. But you do, and it's not. We don't do. It's not like if you do something minor. But it's like when someone's just unrepentant, like I don't care. I'm not sleeping with my father's wife. Not a big deal. But um, then there's there's definitely like we got to exclude. I mean, we're all sinful, but it's the unrepentance. It's just like I don't want to. I want to continue in sin. Then you've got to be like. Then you can't you can't be part of the body of Christ. I mean, like it's hard hard um but we do it because we care about the person we love the person and part of it is we we want to you know love the congregation too we were talking about i think where first week of summit one of the guys mentioned um he's like you know it's interesting groups small groups have the potential to just kind of to go down to the lowest common denominator right we all kind of go down to like the weakest guy in the group that's where we're all going to be spiritually sometimes you know it's like instead of like being pulled up to the wherever the strongest guy is we have a way to you know it's kind of if the weakest guy isn't doing what he's supposed to do we'll kind of go down that way and i think paul's just like that's kind of what's happening in the corinthian church it's like you got these people they're just you know they're part of the body of christ but they're just evil and just unrepentant and you let this stuff sit there other people start following them and you just can't you can't have it And if you guys got questions, I mean, feel free. I mean, I don't want you guys to sit there. I mean, if there's something I can answer, um, feel free to stop me or raise your hand. <clears throat> um, so in, and we'll probably take a break here in a few minutes. But uh, lawsuits among believers. So it's chapter 6. Um, then he starts going in. They've got these court cases going on. All right? So he says, 
Um, basically, this issue, they, they've got lawsuits. They're suing one another. I mean, like, it's crazy. Like, they're suing each other for stuff. And it, probably, I mean, you don't sue someone unless you lost something physically, like materially. So most of it's probably over possessions, right? So either someone stole something or someone, you know, broke something. Something happened, and it's over this. We don't know what. There's not really a lot of detail but probably some sort of material loss of some sort, right? And so part of it is like there's a difference here. Like Paul's really talking about civil cases, right? So he's not talking about, you know, like criminal cases because criminal cases are handled by the, um, the state. The state's going to take care of those, right? Romans 13 says, you know, talks about how the state is established by God. God will rule and, and they bear the sword. They don't bear the sword in vain. Um, so the, that's not what he's talking about here. But he's talking about, he says in 6 7, he says, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Right? And so it's just a, it's a good question to ask. I mean, like, why not rather just be wronged? Right? If someone steals something from you, why, why not rather just let it be stolen? Why not just forgive them? Why not just say, all right? I mean, why? Why, Paul's just like, why, why even worry about it? Like, it's not that big of a deal. God will take care of us in the future. It's just not... Why is your, why is your focus so earthly? I mean, it's so temporal. And it's not that important. And uh, he goes on, he says, you know, you guys are going to judge the world and angels, right? And as believers, we're going to judge the world, we're going to judge angels, yet we can't even, like, they couldn't even, you know, judge things among themselves. They had to take it to the, to the Roman courts and have them decide stuff because they couldn't handle it. And then, Thankfully, for the most part, you don't. I don't. I don't know of any of those where Christians are suing other. I'm sure it's out there, but uh, thankfully, a lot of these issues are not there. But it, it seems to be. If I, if you look at it, like Paul's like the court is bad. Like avoid the court at all costs. Like don't go to court. Right? Don't. It's not. It just looks bad. It just it wastes your time. It wastes your energy. It wastes your money, and it doesn't. I mean, it's just not worth it. So the court's kind of in Paul's view is bad. He says community's better. It's probably if you have to get like resolve stuff, take care of it in the church, right? Don't go outside the church. But he's like, honestly, and I don't like this, the best the best option is to be cheated. Right? It's better just to be cheated. It's better just to be wrong. And that's just that's really hard to man, the culture does not they don't function that way. It's like, man, if someone ripped me off, we're gonna sue them. Someone got in an accident, I'm gonna sue that's like their first response. Like, I'm gonna sue this person. I want my medical expenses. I want all this. And Paul's like, why not be wronged? Why not be wronged? Different. Um, yeah, I was even talking with a lawyer buddy, and he was like, he tells all his clients, it's like, how do you even get any clients? He's like, he's like, he tell, he's like, yeah, I tell all my clients. He's like, it's better not to sue people. It only makes me money. And I'm like, you tell your clients that? He's like, yeah, tell them all that. And he's like, it's just, you know, if you're going to sue somebody else, you only make me money. He's like, and then, you know, it, it's, it's true. I mean, part of it is like, we just don't, it's not worth it. But it's funny. Um, Yeah, this might be a good stopping. Well, do you guys want to take a break now, or we got two o'clock? Take a break now. Cool. All right, break now, and then we'll. I got two o'clock, so if you guys want to be back at two fifteen, then we'll start up again here.